listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast with Chris Kidwell and Sam Glover. Sam, uh, sadly, we have another shooting we need to talk about again and particularly discuss some of the fallout from it because it's been somewhat unique uh, in its circumstances. Uh, But to be clear, we need to talk about the shooting of Jacob Blake. Uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I believe this was last Sunday. I think it's been just over a week since this shooting took place. Um, But he was, that's right, August 23rd, uh, 2020. He was shot uh, seven times uh, at his back, and four of those shots hit him. Uh, This was by a police officer. Um, Again, this took place in Kenosha, Washington. and Sam, just if you don't mind, just sort of talk about what are your thoughts on the incident itself? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the fallout from it in just a moment because uh, there's been some pretty significant and, as I said earlier, unique fallout from it. But just just what sort of grabs your attention about the incident itself? Uh, well, the main thing that kind of jumps out is this uh is mainly uh, the response from both sides. There's going to be lionization and vilification. Uh, Like right now, uh, Matt Walsh uh, with The Daily Wire, he published on Saturday, before you honor Jacob Blake as a martyr, read the criminal complaint against him. Uh, uh, Apparently he's a... uh, Apparently he was guilty of uh, domestic violence and uh, fairly graphic. Uh, some, I don't want to say sexual assault in the event that that's actually not an accurate term for what was done, but at first read, that's what it seems like. And then, of course, there are going to be people that will sort of lionize him. And I have to be honest. I've never cared for the vilification angle of when someone is shot by the police saying, well, look at all of these things that they did or why were the, or why the police were there in the first place sort of thing or, or that sort of thing because the, the message intended or otherwise that comes across is he deserves to have been shot or otherwise killed without trial because of those things, yep. and and that that bothers me. Uh, you know, it's uh, just doing a glance here. Um, he was violating a restraining order stemming from an alleged sexual assault, um, and so you know, this is. It's a little bit different than the George Floyd situation, though not necessarily in its conclusion. Um, It's a little bit different in that this is someone who was going to be arrested. Uh, This is someone who... um, This is someone who was going to be uh, brought to justice one way or another, um, given that there was an alleged incident. Uh, but as you said, the use of 
lethal force here is what's really uh, questionable. Now, it's worth noting that that lethal force uh, didn't turn out to be lethal. Um, he, Jacob Blake's alive. Right. Um, and it, it's weird, uh, not that he's alive. We're thankful he's alive. Um, it's sure. weird because I, I've, I've heard people talk about this incident as if he's, he's dead. He, he's not dead. He, he's very much alive. Um, but still, you know, you get, you shoot someone in the back four times. Um, you shoot at them seven times. Um, that's, you know, you're not, you're not doing that in the hopes that they, with the intention of them surviving. Um, and that's sort of, that's sort of what grips me, uh, about, about the situation is, is he was shot in the back. Um, he was shot in a position where he doesn't necessarily pose some sort of mortal threat. Now there are arguments being made that, well, he could have gotten something out of his car and it, you know, he had a knife in his car apparently, but, um, he could have gotten something out of his car and turned quickly. And, you know, those arguments are understandable to an extent, uh, but I don't, this is sort of my opinion, I suppose. I'm not sure that that justifies the use of potentially lethal force, at least not, not yet. Now, if he turns around and he poses a threat, or if he, if you figure out that he's reaching for a gun in that situation, if you can, if you can reasonably conclude that, uh, you know, that, that, that's fair, but that's not a reasonable conclusion in the moment. Um, you know, and right. some people will counter with, well, why don't you go through a police training course or something to that that effect? Why don't you see what it's like? Um, any lack of perspective that someone arguing against the use of force shown by the officer in that situation, any lack of perspective a person may have doesn't change whether or not the officer was justified. Um, right. And, and, and usually, if, if I may interrupt... That argument is made by people who are discounting the fact that police officers are supposed to be trained professionals, and we're not. And also, they are supposed to be well-trained people. And we're supposed to hold them to a standard commensurate with the fact that they're a trained professional. Whereas, Chris, you and I are not trained professionals. Right. And to say, well, what would you do? It doesn't matter what I would do. I'm not a trained professional. I didn't voluntarily apply for a position that would put me into harm's way. Police officers do. Well, and, and there's there's a there's a certain understanding that officers, through their training, should be uh, should be hardened, if you will, um, to any sort of reflexive emotional decision in that situation uh, that their training uh, should lead them to have a sense of control. Whereas you and I might struggle with that in that situation um, to sort of specifically nail down what that training would do. Um, you know, you go through enough simulations and yeah, it's not the real thing, but you go through enough simulations that, you know, you understand you can't act reflexively in that situation. Um, 
that you can't act emotionally in that situation. And I, I don't necessarily know all the different motivating factors uh, as to why uh, the trigger was pulled seven times. Um, but the optics of it are not great. And whether or not, as you said, whether or not he should have been brought to justice over different issues, this wasn't the way to do it. Um, and so, and, you know, and to, even granting again, very sorry to interrupt, but even granting that the crimes of which he is accused are heinous and the kinds of crimes that I feel, I would feel no sympathy for him. Like I don't, I am not appalled at the shooting of Jacob Blake because I feel bad for him as a person. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, there is not a, there is not an ounce of sympathy for him or any man that does the kinds of things that he is accused of doing. I don't have an ounce of sympathy for that sort of thing. It is entirely a matter of principle of, I don't like the idea of people getting shot in the back and someone will say he was brandishing a knife and I've seen the photos and videos. Um, and the object in question, there are people who say, well, that's not a knife. Knives aren't shaped like that. If I'm, if I'm seeing the right photos, it would appear to be what is commonly referred to as a karambit. That's a particular style of knife where it is not curved the way that you would expect a knife to be because they're meant to be held differently than other kinds of knives. They're specifically self-defense knives and fighting knives as opposed to utility knives or knives that you can use for fighting or for, like, tool uses. But also, again, the photos, they're not ultra-high quality, but it would be a very large karambit. So um, most people, if they have a karambit, it's a small, like, pocket folder-style one. But that's neither here nor there. I don't want to get bogged down in the details of knives. All of that to say... There is a point at which we have to say, put aside that this guy is allegedly a scumbag. Mm-hmm. We, we balk at the idea of vigilante justice. So it is only fair that we say no, police officers can't go around acting like vigilantes. I get that it is a difficult, stressful job. I get that a person can can make mistakes. I get that allegedly he declared, I have a gun in the car and then went over to the car and started rummaging around. None of that is a good look, but there is a point at which we have to stop and say, okay, with all the facts in the way, this very likely wasn't a quote unquote good shoot. And these officers need to be penalized for that. Well, and you know, the, the idea with all that out of the way, I mean, the officer's actions overshadow everything else that happened. Um, they absolutely overshadow the circumstances. They absolutely overshadow um, any allegations against Jacob Blake. Uh, all of that is completely overshadowed by what the officer did. And frankly, I, I think that's rightfully so. Um, just because, as you said, earlier officers are held to a higher standard and so uh because they're held to that higher standard they're under more scrutiny um now i i sort of want to transition this discussion into the outrage because we saw a protest break out in kenosha as well as other places uh over this 
And one of the main issues that protesters have had, uh, both, you know, at the protest and abroad, is that, you know, it seems like the officer in question uh, is was not brought to justice swiftly enough, hasn't been, wasn't named for a while. Um, and I think it's worth pointing out that if we're going to be consistent with, you know, the idea that Jacob Blake should have been brought to trial, should have been, uh, should have been served justice, you know, the, the way that we prescribe, if you will, the way that is appropriate, that it's true of the officer as well, uh, that we don't practice vigilante justice on criminals and we don't practice vigilante justice uh, against, you know, officers who undertake in uh, potentially criminal actions. Right. Um, you know, that's that fair, I think. People, people are outraged because it's not happening immediately, but these things simply aren't going to happen immediately, even if all of the evidence points toward a clear conclusion. Um, you know, it's, it's worth doing the, the investigation. It's worth doing all these different things. I understand why people are skeptical because too often in the past, the investigation has uh, led to a conclusion that is mind bogglingly inconsistent with all the evidence. Um, but that the abuse of something should not, uh, should not devalue the use of it in this situation. And, and so, you know, undergoing that investigation un, you know, doing justice, if you will, and being consistent means <clears throat> that just because, the Jacob Blake situation was not handled with the care uh, and was not handled the it, with the appropriate manner that it should have been handled does not mean that we likewise uh, abandon the judicial process when it comes to the, to, to his assailant. And so with those protests, I, I understand the the idea of protesting generally but that particular point sticks out to me as your favorite word problematic um because it's inconsistent with the very thing for which protesters are asking um you know if if you believe that you know jacob blake uh you know that he wasn't done justice fair um you know and there's there's a discussion to be had there uh, but if you believe that because he wasn't done justice, that, you know, someone needs to reach out and, quote, take care of this police officer, uh, you're you're mind bogglingly inconsistent in in what you're asking. Um, and and I realize that's difficult because it is an emotional thing. Um, and, and we'll talk more about the emotional aspect of it in just a, just a few moments, but. It's something where if if the goal here is for justice to be served equally, for justice to be served fairly, um, and for uh, and for ultimately p- people in cases not to be treated differently, primarily based off of race. This is a racial discussion we are having. Um, if that's ultimately the goal, then. Uh, you can't circumvent that for the sake of expediency in cases you don't like. Um, and that's true of both sides here, right? Uh, that's, that's true of the individuals, um, 
uh, who do have allegations against them, uh, who are resisting arrest. And it's true of the individuals who uh, exceed the necessary, the minimum necessary force in attempting to make those arrests. You don't get to circumvent the process and then claim uh, the high ground, if you will. And so, you know, with those protests, there's one particular situation we need to talk about because that was not the only shooting that took place uh, this week. Um, I'm, I've got an article from USA Today's uh, website pulled up in front of me uh, describing the night that Whit, that uh, that Kyle Rittenhouse opened fire in Kenosha, Washington, or Washington, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, article was published at 5 a.m. on August 31st. Uh, updated a little bit later in the afternoon. Um, I believe the incident took place Tuesday night uh, in Kenosha. This would have been the third night of protests. And Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old either man or boy, and it depends on the crime, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, right. But, but a 17-year-old male has been charged with five felonies and a misdemeanor after shooting three people Tuesday night, two of them fatally. Um, Sam, why was Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Washington, armed? If I understand rightly, he was there to protect a business. I am uncertain if he or his family had any connections to that business, but that is what I have read. Uh the whys of what he was doing there are a bit more fuzzy to me as to the what happened afterwards parts. Because I'm going to go ahead and spoil everyone on my opinion on this. This was stupid all around. And everyone involved is at best a moron. I know you're not supposed to say that on the radio, but this is a podcast, so it's fine. I'm sorry. What? Like I, I, I spaced out there for a second. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're good. Um, and it looked like I wasn't even picking up audio for a second there. But um, Cal Rittenhouse, uh, if I understood rightly, he was there protecting a business. I don't know. I don't recall if he was connected to the business or his family was on anyway. But that, if I remember rightly, was his stated reason. With that said. I think everyone involved here is is an idiot and was stupid and acted in precisely the wrong ways. So, not I, like I said, I didn't want to just spoil my opinion on this, but uh, this was one of those you're all wrong and you should all feel bad sort of mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a few things that stand out to me. Um, the first is the age next to Rittenhouse, uh, being 17, um, he, he shouldn't have been there. Uh, there's, there's really no defense of him being there. Uh, it, it would be one thing, um, if he were, uh, armed and defending his home, defending his family, defending his parents. I don't know if any, if he has any siblings, but defending his siblings, right. um, Or if he were sort of assailed, you know, where he was 
you know, in the sense that he wasn't there particularly to counter protest or to uh, stave off protest, but he just happened to be caught there. Like, like there's some argument for that. And I think good argument, but that's not the case. In this case, we have a 17 year old boy um, who's going armed into a hostile situation with the explicit intention of, you know, being there ready to take action uh, if needed. Um, and as you, I'll echo what you said, that's, that's silly, right? Um, that's, there's something deeply wrong with that. Um, w- not necessarily with the idea of someone being armed, ready to protect uh, someone or something, um, from violent rioters, but the idea of a 17 year old boy, uh, being present is that that's probably the most deeply troubling part of all of this because everything else really that happened with regard to Rittenhouse is fallout from that decision. Um, if the decision is made, look, this, this guy's a kid. He, shouldn't be out there with a gun. He shouldn't be out there to begin with. Um, you know, if there's some responsibility taken on the part of him or his parents, and I don't know what his family dynamic is, but if there's some responsibility, uh, taken on the part of someone there to keep him from going there, it doesn't happen. Um, and maybe it happens with someone else. Um, but at the very least it happens with someone else who you would reasonably expect should be there, uh, or at the very least reasonably expect to be in that position. Uh, but in this case, it's a 17 year old boy who really doesn't have any business being there. Um, as for the argument of self defense, I suppose we'll see what happens with the investigation, um, and how self-defense, I don't know how self-defense is legally defined in Wisconsin. The major Uh, issue that is going to come up is, and I don't know if this is codified universally, but this is sort of a universally applied principle is you can't go looking for trouble and then claim self-defense. Yeah. And and just like as an example, there are a variety of reasons this would never happen, but if I were to go to a, we'll say a house of ill repute, and a fight were to break out, and I were to draw my weapon and shoot someone, I would be going to prison after that. Because even if everything else lined up in my favor, there's the simple fact of the matter that, like, I have no business being at a house of ill repute. Right. There's just no reason for me to be there. And even if I didn't start the fight, even if I didn't escalate it to the point of drawing a firearm, all of that was true. It all loops back to you wouldn't have had to do that if you weren't here at this time. At a place where you cannot reasonably say you don't expect trouble to happen. If I'm at a, like, let's just say if I were at a bar or something, that would be different because one can reasonably expect to go to a bar, have some drinks, and not get into a shootout. But a place of public nuisance, for instance, a site of 
protests that are increasingly getting rowdier and rowdier, that sort of thing, you cannot act surprised if something happens. And even beyond all of that, one of the most important principles of self-defense is evasion, is just not going to situations where you will have to defend yourself or leaving before you do. Because, Chris, uh, I don't want to speak as to your property or things like that, but even if you don't own a firearm and never intend to own one, you already have the most important self-defense tool you could ever have. And it's your legs. Mm -hmm. Because, again, the best way to defend yourself is to just not go places where you have to defend yourself or to leave before you do. So there's there's a couple of things I think about with this, um, with how silly the whole situation is. Um, the first is sort of the interesting case of how he's going to be tried. Um, because on the one hand, in Wisconsin, uh, just picking up from a local news station in Wisconsin. Right. Uh, anyone 17 or older is treated as an adult in the criminal justice system. Right. Um, on the other hand, uh, one of the interesting things, um, and it's morbidly interesting, of course, but one of the interesting things about this situation is that uh, just a blurb from the article, Wisconsin allows gun owners to openly carry in public, but... A person under 18 cannot legally possess or carry a firearm unless that person is hunting or target practicing with an adult or in the military. Um, None of those circumstances are met uh, with regard to Rittenhouse. And so uh, you can say, you can say whatever else you want about the actual actions he took that night, but he should not have been there. Like he he very much should not have been there with a weapon. Should right. I I mean that that's an objective statement. Um, and here's sort of the other thing, and this is going to be I think somewhat controversial because I don't think we've had this discussion. Um, I am I am not, and, and I'm coming at this from a Christian perspective, not a strictly uh, legal perspective. I understand. Uh, the legal precedent uh, for for this. Um, But the Christian perspective on this, I think, comes to light uh, when I see that there is a Christian fundraising site that's raising six figures plus worth of money for his legal defense. Um, I am not particularly uh, on board with the idea uh, that a Christian ought to protect physical material property with lethal force. Right. Um, I am 100% on board with the idea that a Christian uh, can and should protect life with right. lethal force. Um, but it, it seems to me uh, that scripture presents an entirely different picture of what it means to value human life right. versus what it means to value property. And so, like I said, I, I do believe that there's legal precedent for it, and I'm, I'm not here to argue against that. Um, but from a Christian perspective, and when I see Christian, perhaps in name only, but Christian organizations getting involved in uh, in 
in raising money uh, for Rittenhouse, I it sort of raises it makes me raise my eyebrow a little bit. Not because he's not entitled to a defense, but because I you know that that idea that he was going to protect primarily property, um, that that really that really uh, well uh, to quote a TV show that won't be named. Uh, that really grinds my gears. Right. And, and I would tend to agree. My only caveat in tour about property would be, uh, would be if neglecting to defend property or choose, well, I'll say choosing not to defend your property because that's a more neutral term than neglecting because neglect implies defect on your part. I would say if choosing not to defend your property would bring harm to yourself or to others, then you should defend your property. An obvious example being like if your car, like let's, this is a very specific scenario, I'll grapple it. If someone is trying to set your car on fire and doing so would cause an explosion that could potentially hurt or kill others, I think, yes, you should be willing to defend to put a stop to that but that's also because that's not just hurting property that's extending out or defending a home or building with people inside but still granting that that's not a matter of just property yeah like if my car is like out in the middle of the street for some reason and someone firebombs it i have insurance it's a miserable situation. I don't want it to happen. I would tell someone not to do it, but I can replace a car. I can replace what's in my car, even for the most part. But I would tend to agree with you. Well, and and sort of there's there's two things there. Um, the first is that protection of property may be incidental in that case, right? Right. Yeah, you know, like you said, a house with people in it. Well, I'm protecting the people in the house right. and. If that means I'm protecting the house for the sake of protecting the people in the house, fine. Um, but that's that that at that point is just sort of collateral, if you will. Right. Um, secondly, though, um, you know, when it comes to property protection of property, I'm fine with protecting property, just not with lethal force. Right. Right. Um, you know, if if I see someone uh, trying to firebomb my car, if I have an opportunity to catch their arm. Uh, before they throw said firebomb, and we're getting real hypothetical here. Right. Uh, but if I have an opportunity to catch that arm, um, I'm going to do it. Um, you know, if I've got an opportunity to uh, to prevent someone from doing something like that, I'm going to do it with the caveat that, you know, if it is strictly property damage, I don't believe that the use of least lethal force uh, is acceptable there. Um but right. emphasis here on strictly property damage. Um, once once you put human life at risk, that that changes the equation significantly for me. Um, right. And so, but your mentioning of uh, very and actually, I'll let you finish your point. I, I I'm allowed. No, to I was I was functional. I was functionally time. done. I was functionally done. Go ahead. But your mentioning of like throwing a firebomb or the like actually reminds me of a dynamic of the situation that could get overshadowed. Uh, there's the question of why did Kyle shoot? And there was originally an accusation that someone had thrown a Molotov cocktail at him. And there was footage going around that seemed to show someone 
And it was kind of following him, heckling him, which already that's a mistake. And this, I, I want to emphasize this very much. If you see someone carrying a gun and you do not know the person and know why they're carrying it, get away from them. If they are going left, go right. Put as much distance between you and that person as possible. Even if they are not brandishing the weapon, even if they, even if, like, you ask them, hey, are you planning on doing something with that gun? And they say, no, honestly, I just like carrying a gun. Cool. Get away from them. Don't follow them, and especially don't heckle them. Because they have a firearm. Just don't mess with them. I am 100% for people carrying. There is a difference between being fine with someone carrying something and saying, hey, I'm going to follow this person and see what happens. Now, the thing about the accusation that a Molotov was thrown is that it appears to be unsubstantiated because the footage shows it being thrown but it not breaking, which is kind of the point of a Molotov. And so it would appear that that footage was altered and that he actually threw a bag of rocks at Kyle. And that is what prompted Kyle to shoot the first person, which then led to a mob of people choosing to run him down, saying, like, get him, that sort of thing. And a man rushes him with a skateboard, appears to be using the skateboard to try to pin his arms and take the weapon from him. During the course of that, two more people get shot. So here's the thing. I said and I meant that everyone involved in this was an idiot, was stupid, and did very specifically the wrong thing. Because Kyle shouldn't have been there, Guy shouldn't have heckled him and thrown stuff at him. And after the person was shot, the fact that a mob of people all collectively came to the conclusion, yeah, we need to run down the guy with a gun. As much as I think Kyle was in the wrong, I still don't pity those people. Because again, when a gun is introduced into the situation, you have two choices you can make. You can respond with a gun of your own, or you can leave. There are no other options at that point. Because, and this is a bit of insider baseball, somewhat at least, uh, Chris, are you familiar with a series of cannons lining the French border? I don't think I am. Okay. Well, it's a very interesting thing, and they might not be there anymore, but for several years during the 18th century, if I recall correctly, the King of France had one of the borders of France lined with cannons that all had his name inscribed on them, and in Latin, a phrase translated, the final argument of kings. And that, that basically was like his way of saying, when diplomacy fails, I am willing to go to war. In and of itself, that's not a hugely profound thing. A gun is the last argument. Once guns come out, you are done arguing. You are done trying to yell. You are done trying to plead. You are done trying to bargain. When guns come out, the argument's over. It is either you leave or you better have a gun too. 
And even if you have a gun, your best bet is still probably to leave. But people, when they're in mobs, and different books have been written about mob mentality, the madness of crowds, that sort of thing. People get into this mode where they think, well, there's 30 of us. He can't shoot all of us. Yes, but he can shoot you. And he shot three of you when everything was said and done. And there could have been three less people shot. Obviously, if Kyle hadn't been there. But if also each of those people had thought, that guy has a gun. I'm not getting involved in that. There is no end point of this situation that is good for me. I'm not getting involved. And that's what should have happened. And it's worth noting that there's still an investigation that's going to take place, just like sure. with these other cases. Sure. And, you know, I don't mean to sit here and uh, condemn or convict Kyle Rittenhouse of anything in particular, except that, in my mind, it is very clear he should not have been there. Certainly. Um, I think that's fair. And, and the intent of being there, let alone the fact that objectively he should not have been there, legally he should not have been there in the way that he was there. Um, the intent, uh, for why he was there, um, really, and and I don't know Kyle's religious background, but from a Christian perspective, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense why he was there. No, it's not befitting a Christian. Um, and so, you know, it's something where, Again, whether or not he's legally culpable in this situation uh, of of first degree murder um, or any other charges, you know, let let there be an investigation. It'll make people angry that it takes a while, Um, but let there be an investigation. And if it's determined that, no, he was, you know, he was he's innocent of first degree murder because such and such. Okay, you know. Uh, or he's guilty of first degree murder because of such and such. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've got perfect information as to what happened, or even as much information as what we'll have in, say, I don't know, three months. Um, but the, I think the underlying point here is none of this had to happen, and it took an amazing amount of very stupid decisions from a large number of people uh, for this to actually happen. Absolutely. Um, so we've made it through Tuesday of last week. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> uh, the exhausting thing. Yeah. And so Wednesday, um, I'm sitting in my office at Bridge Creek uh, and I'm studying and I've also got uh, ESPN pulled up and all of a sudden ESPN's homepage changes over in the afternoon. Uh, it refreshes every so often and a new story takes the front page of ESPN.com. And it basically says Milwaukee Bucks are considering boycotting uh, tonight's or this afternoon's game against the Orlando Magic. Um, the NBA playoffs, of course, going on in a bubble down in Orlando, Florida. And then a few minutes later, Page refreshes. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks have uh, boycotted their game against the Orlando Magic. And then a few minutes later, uh, all NBA games tonight and tomorrow are canceled. Um. And it's, it's interesting, uh, to me for a number of reasons. Um, the NBA is not alone in this. The WNBA, uh, also did a boycott. They sort of led the charge, although they don't have near the visibility that the NBA has. The NHL ended up playing all of its games on Wednesday and then canceled all of its games Thursday and Friday. 
And then certain MLB clubs, uh, notably here, the Milwaukee Brewers, but certain MLB clubs canceled their games for a day or two last week as well. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, in that in a few different ways to me that these games were boycotted in part, uh, because it's really unprecedented. Um, you know, in at least the NBA's case and the NHL's case, uh, these boycotts were player driven. And then the league basically said, all right, fine. Uh, you don't have to strike. We'll just cancel. Um, you know, which good on those leagues for not making the situation much, much worse than it could have been. I mean, they, you know, they could have had some legal ramifications. They could have caused the bucks to forfeit the games they planned on boycotting that sort of thing. The leagues basically said, we'll step aside. You know, we're not, we're not going to force our agenda down your throats because their agenda is money. Um, but you know, you had these boycotts, uh, and there's a couple of things that sort of strike me about it. The first is that ESPN, uh, one of its subsidiaries is an online uh, journal, if you will, called The Undefeated. Uh, and it primarily uh, features authors, uh, minority authors. Uh, it's uh, many, many black authors write for the uh, website and the undefeated put out an article. I forget if it was Wednesday or Thursday, basically saying this is not a boycott. This is collective bereavement on the part of NBA players that NBA players are so frustrated and so shaken by what's occurred uh, most recently in Kenosha and so shaken at the uh, protests that are going on. And frankly, at uh, how the president has handled this most recent uh, incident they're so shaken by it that it's tough to ask them to take the floor and, and, and play. Um, okay. Fair enough. Uh, if, if that's how they feel, I'm not going to tell them that how they feel is wrong in that case. Um, if they need a day or two of bereavement, fair enough. Uh, from the aspect of it being a boycott though, um, my question, I suppose, in this whole situation uh, is very simply what's actually being accomplished because as unprecedented as the situation is um, the NBA in particular was already using its uh, its playoffs in this bubble as basically a platform to speak out against uh, racial injustice against police brutality. Uh, I mean, the phrase black lives matter is on the floor of every single playoff game. The players were allowed to pick whatever names and whatever phrases they wanted to put on the back of their jerseys. Um, they they did all sorts of things to make this playoffs about speaking out against racial injustice. And so in the NBA's case in particular, I'm not sure that a boycott does much more to further that discussion. I'm not saying they're wrong for doing it. Right. And I'm certainly not going to say that they're wrong because they make X amount of money. And man, I wish I could take a day off to boycott something. That's a ridiculous argument. Sure. That's an absolute, your level of income uh, is not the point here. Um, to that point, the NHL players boycotted and someone, uh, someone, tweeted online basically saying, well, I wish I could go back into my mansion and, and, you know, take a day off and, 
may still make all this money. And an NHL player responded and said, yeah, dude, I don't have a mansion. I'd live with my in-laws. And so <laughs> it's, it's kind of a moment of levity uh, right. in the whole situation for me. Um, but, but I don't know in the NBA's case specifically what, what boycotting does to further the cause, because all the people uh, that could potentially be alienated or significantly influenced by the boycott, they, they were already not paying attention. Um, the people who came out on social media and said, I'm done with the NBA, they were already done with the NBA. Um, yeah. or, they're not, or they're not being genuine. Right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I think it. I think the NHL in particular, which is a, uh, which is a white-dominated league, unlike any of the other four major sports, um, them boycotting may actually do a little bit more, just because you know a higher percentage of their audience is not exactly on board with that message. Um, but I. I understand why they why they took those two or three days off. Um, I'm just not sure that it's going to do very much to further to the discussion beyond what the NBA has already been doing. Right. It's just... I don't know. Like, I can understand like someone saying, like, well, they shouldn't be paid for games that they're not playing. Okay, sure, whatever. And and the accountants for the teams can work that out, like whatever. But for me, the main thing is the efficacy of the boycotts, like because because professional sports teams don't write laws, right? And that's nothing against professional sports teams because I don't think anyone should be writing laws anyway, but that's beside the point. But um, it, it's just, okay, how much can they do beyond bringing attention to the matter? And I understand that the overwhelming majority of of players participating in these strikes, for lack of a better word, um, they understand that they're not going to force any change to happen. There might be that one oddball that's not all there to start with, who was never the brightest crown in the box anyway, that would be surprised to learn that the managers for his team don't write laws. But aside from someone just exceedingly unintelligent, they get that they can't make anything happen. So I want to push so back. What against... they can do is bring publicity to the issue. I want to push back against that a little bit, actually, sure. um, because when the Bucks boycotted, basically what happened was they stayed in their locker room uh, right before the game was supposed to start. The Magic right. actually came out and took the floor. The Bucks stayed in their locker room. And during the time they were in their locker room, um, they actually got the ear, uh, had conversations with the Wisconsin Attorney General and Lieutenant Governor, both. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, to some extent for that very specific point, it, it did work in that they got a direct conversation with people they wouldn't normally be able to right. get a direct conversation with. Um, and, you know, and so fair I, enough. there's, you know, it's something where they got that attention and um, Giannis Anadokounmpo, uh, who's their star player uh, on the Bucks, the Bucks are one of the favorites to win the whole thing. Um, you know, he might be. 
the most well-known resident of Wisconsin right now. It's it's probably pretty close between him and Aaron Rodgers, the current quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Um, he's he, it, but I mean, he's top five um, at the very least, and so you know him taking an action like this. Yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get lawmakers' attentions, but. Uh, because that team and that guy in particular bring a ton of money into the state. Um, and so if they're all of a sudden not playing uh, for reasons related to how the government is or is not functioning, um, then it will grab their attention. And so I understand it uh, from that sort of micro case, uh, but the entire league doing something uh, is is what sort of baffles me a little bit. Just because, I mean, they're not going to get the ear of the president, and and I think they they would concede that that you know no. the president's not going to listen, um, and so you know like yeah, you, you said, have the to eth- get on Twitter for him to for him to do that, but yeah, the the efficacy of the situation, I just I'm not sure uh, that there are many gains to be had. Like I said, that doesn't mean that they were wrong to do it. Sure. Um, I'm not that utilitarian, but. Yeah, I'm just not sure that it's going to produce, like you said, the type of change that they think it might produce. Um, and I so, think best case is it will draw attention to it. It will, and, and ultimately, I would be willing to believe in good faith that that is what they're wanting to do. They're sure. wanting to say, like, "Hey, look, in my own way, I can bring attention to this thing sure. that I, I care about." It. My point is just that. You know, it's not that they're going from not bringing attention to it to bringing attention to it. It's right. that they're just doing one more thing to bring attention to it. Right. Um, you know, and like I said, I don't think that makes them wrong to do it by any stretch. They can do whatever they want, even if I did think it was wrong for them to do it. But I, I you know, I think this is a perfectly fine thing for them to do. Uh, at least in Milwaukee's case, it, it did make something of a difference because they were able to get in the ear of, uh, of you know, major government representatives, uh, government leaders in the state. But uh, as far as it, at a federal level, at a nationwide level, I don't think it's going to have that kind of impact. Right. Um, and so I'd be curious to see, as far as the payers getting paid to play their games, that's also a nonsense thing that people offer in part because that's, you know, that's their money. It's not yours. And it's those companies money, not yours. It's not taxpayer dollars that are paying those salaries. Um, and also they're still playing the games. Like they ended up just rescheduling all the games. They basically pushed the playoffs right. back two or three days. That's all that happened. Um, and so, you know, they're not, taking a day off work so much as they are just rescheduling when work is. And so, you know, right. I, I have zero, I have absolutely zero tolerance for the shut up and dribble crowd. Um, Oh yeah. You know, that, I, that, that, that's, they, that's a very cheap argument. At it best. is. It, and it, it's a nothing argument because no one, no one wants, you would not want to hear that from someone else. You know, you know, shut up and go to work. Are you kidding? Like the, the, the foundation of the country is built on the fact that, you know, people who weren't a part of the government didn't shut up about how they, uh, about how they didn't like the government. <laughs> um, 
you know, it, it, it's, it's a silly, cheap, nothing argument uh, from people who don't like where the conversation is going. Um, you know, it's something where it, it, it is, you can be intellectually consistent in saying that, um, you know, players, uh, players can offer whatever opinions they want to offer. And also I don't necessarily want to listen to this conversation 24 um, seven. Yeah, or, you know, or even it could, it could even look like, I don't care to be lectured on privilege and how awful things are by someone who happens to be a very well-off person that by any honest definition is themselves privileged. Yep. Like that could even make sense, but shut up and dribble is a very cheap watered down version of any good form of that. Argument. Yeah. I don't want to listen to you is not the same thing as you should not be talking. Yeah. Um, you know, and when you when we have this attitude of shut up and dribble, you're telling someone you should not be talking about this. You have no right. Well, actually, they do, and that right is fundamental to who we are as a nation. Um, and so, I'd be curious. And even arguably, fundamentally, we have the right to say, "Okay, cool. I don't care." Yep, yep. That's, that's whether fine. you should you, or not. Different issue, but you're and, welcome and to you, say, "I don't care." And you have the right to. Uh, you have the right to not pay attention, you know, and, and it, you know, it's something where I, uh, I, I've had a number of people come up to me and tell me, well, I'm done with the NBA. I just decided to stop watching because of everything that's going on. And I told them, okay, I, I stopped watching because I think the basketball is boring, but you know, we we're both not watching and we can have our reasons for doing that. But you know, what, whatever the case is just, you know, it, I don't know. It, it's something where I, I will devolve into incoherent ranting if I'm not careful with this, because I, you know, I, I'm coming from the perspective of someone that isn't sure that this boycott is going to accomplish everything the players want it to, or even most of the things the players want it to, uh, while still understanding why they did it um, and understanding that, you know, they can do what they want. It's not, it, 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 the people who are reacting against this boycott, um, I, I just, I don't understand the outrage against the NBA saying we're going to take three days off or the NHL saying we're going to take two days off. You know, we, we need to recalibrate here. You know, we, we've got some, there are more important issues here. Uh, I can understand disagreeing with them about what the issues are and disagreeing with them about how to handle the issues, but disagreeing with them, about you know, hey, we're going to take some time to figure out these issues. That ah, man, that just that frustrates me. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I don't. This is some historical erata, but um, this sort of like shut up and dribble attitude is actually a major reason why the Protestant Reformation went as far as it did. Mm-hmm. Because the Catholic Church, this is obviously a very drastic oversimplification, they told Martin Luther, shut up and be a priest. When he posted his theses, when he started raising these questions. And in a lot of ways, uh, again, obviously the Reformation isn't the same thing. Like There are different issues, different things going on. But I wonder how much different things would be if when Colin Kaepernick had started doing the kneeling, if everyone had just said, all right, cool, present your argument, 
cite your sources, let's hear you out. Yep. But, you know. Instead of shut up and play the football. Yeah. Uh, well, and, you know, the argument there, and I don't want to get too far into this because it is a deep rabbit hole, but, um, you know, obscuring his arguments because, well, he's kneeling for the flag, so we can't take him seriously. When in reality, there are plenty of other legitimate reasons to not take him seriously, but that that's not among them. <laughs> um, you know, he is he is incredibly dismissive of those who, who disagree with them. But, you know, you're, you're just as dismissive of him. If you base it off of one action, you don't like that isn't particularly harmful. Um, so now we're through Wednesday afternoon. Um, (laughs) and we're going to conclude our podcast by talking about something that happened Wednesday evening at the Republican national convention. Um, Sam, I like Mike Pence, generally speaking. Uh, we've had this conversation, I think, beforehand uh, over something he different. He almost but... got me to vote for Donald Trump before the Access Hollywood tape came out. Yep. Uh, I I like Pence generally. I like, uh, I like his morality. I like his character. Um, I think he is incredibly well-spoken. Um, you know, if... Uh, uh, if Pence were leading the ticket, it would be incredibly easy for me to vote for him for president. Um, you know, I like a lot of what he stands for. Don't agree with him on every issue. That's fine. Um, but as, as far as modern day politicians go, uh, he is extremely likable, um, in a lot of different ways. And he is probably the person I like most uh, who has been on a major party presidential ticket in my lifetime. I don't think that's a stretch for me to say. Uh, he said something Wednesday night during his speech at the Republican uh, National Convention that made me want to vomit. It is one of the worst things I've ever heard a conservative politician say. Um, and it is largely because he took something that is more important than politics and country and reappropriated it grossly and incorrectly for politics and country. Here's what I'm getting at. Um, Wednesday night during his speech, uh, he offered this quote. He said, so let us run the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on old glory and all that she represents Let's fix our eyes on this land of heroes and let their courage inspire. Now, to a non-Christian, that might not seem like a big deal at all. Sure. It sounds very Um, saccharine if you have no biblical background. mm -hmm. The problem is um, twofold. One, we are Christians. uh, And two, Pence claims to be one as well. He runs on that. Um, You know, he's very much one of these uh, politicians and one of these people uh, who bases their idea on, you know, this sort of threefold and hopefully tiered concept of God, family, country, right? You see people put that in their social media profiles. Uh, You see that as sort of campaign slogans for different uh, elections, God, family, country, and sometimes it'll there'll be a kicker at the end of that in that order. Right. 
Um, and I, I have quibbles with that exact description in that. Why don't we just say God and let God just dictate the other two to us. But, you know, I, I can at least appreciate the fact that, you know, God is more important than, than family. Family is more important than country. I I'm, I'm here for that at least. Um, but Pence in his quote, very, very heavily alters uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, uh, despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Um, that is the Chris revised standard version of that passage uh, for those reading along at home. Um, but he, he, that's a verse, he quotes it. And instead of referencing Jesus, he references old glory and this land of heroes. Let's fix our eyes on old glory and let's fix our eyes on this land of heroes. And this is unbelievably problematic and revolting to me because it does the very thing that we should not be doing. And the very thing this country struggles with perhaps more than anything else right now in conflating uh, Christianity with nationalism. Um, conflating Christianity with perhaps more charitably patriotism. Um, the idea that if you don't vote for me, and he doesn't go this far, but if you don't vote a particular way, and if the election doesn't turn out a particular way, and we don't do certain things as a country, then we're not really Christian. You're not really Christian. Um, because it's problematic that he says it, and it's dangerous because people will believe it. Um, sure. People will start reading Old Glory and Land of Heroes into Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And when I saw that he said this, because I, I didn't watch this live, I, he might have said it while I was at Bible class. I don't, I don't remember. Um, but when I heard that he said this, I... Man, it's disappointing because I like Pence a lot, but this is this is truly an awful reappropriation of Scripture. Right, and I and on one level, I can, in good faith, if he were to come out and say, "Yeah, that was a mistake on my part. That was not my intention. I just wanted to borrow that language because I thought it was fitting." Okay, fine, but like that's what you pay speechwriters for is to not do stupid things, generally. And so I can understand that. But on the other hand, like this is the cynic in me, but it's just like at this point, I just, I can't really get deeply offended by something that he says because it's just, okay, like, what did I expect? Because in Republican talk since the 80s, at least, 
that's been very common is to kind of these allusions and echoes and references, some more explicit than others, some more ham-fisted or outright ripping off than others to Christian ease. So I, I get the offense. I share the dis- distaste. But it just, it doesn't get me going quite like it gets you going. And I'm not saying you're wrong for getting you going in saying that either. Well, the the thing about this that gets me going in particular, because like you've said, the, the Republican Party is, th- this is nothing new to the party itself. Uh, to basically turn the gospel of Christ Jesus into the gospel of uh, the USA if you will, um, and may in more sinister cases, the gospel of the Republican party. Um, that's not surprising. The, the difficult thing for me in this is twofold. First it's Pence that said it, um, because Pence is someone who comes across as incredibly measured, uh, in his words. Um, you know, as much as, Donald Trump has been a fly by the seat of his pants type of president. Um, that's evidence if, but through nothing else than by his Twitter account. Um, then Pence has sort of been that, you know, sort of stable controlled, uh, right-hand man. Um, plenty of people, as we've mentioned before, uh, voted for Trump just because if something happened to Trump, Pence would be, you know, they felt like they were voting for Pence. Um, By the way, plenty of people are going to do that on the Democratic side this year, too, with regard to Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, But plenty of people voted for Pence because he represents a lot of what people want to believe about the Republican Party and want to believe about the conservative movement, if you will. Um, And so it's problematic that he said it because he is the person I would least expect to say something like that. you know, in, in the Republican party, uh, with any sort of visibility anyway. Um, and then secondly, it's, it's, it's dangerous. And I've mentioned this already, but it's dangerous because there are people in our pews, uh, who will start reading Hebrews 12 differently, uh, as a result of that, they will hear those words from Pence and they will start, it'll start reinforcing any ideas that they have about, uh, Christian patriotism being, uh, presented in scripture. Um, to be clear, I'm not saying that there's a problem at all with loving your country and doing what you can to help your country. I have, I am saying that there's a massive problem, uh, with taking passages about Jesus and more commonly taking passages about the church and reappropriating, reappropriating those to describe our country. That's, that's wholly inappropriate. Um, you know, I controversial opinion. Jesus isn't a Republican. Even more controversial opinion, he's not a Democrat either. He's yep. a theocratic monarch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and so that, that's the thing. It, it's going to seem like I'm nitpicking the vice president. Um, sure, sure. And and to to people who are not Christians, sure, it's gonna it's gonna seem like that and feel like that to them. But to those who are Christians who might be thinking I'm nitpicking here, um, there, there's there's very little I take more seriously uh, than Scripture itself. Um, and so 
anytime anyone misuses scripture so flagrantly, I'm going to have a problem with it. Uh, it as, it's, as we should. As we should, but I... What I'm scared of, Sam, is that not that people are going to shoulder shrug it away because, you know, that at least acknowledges, you know, maybe implicitly that, yeah, it wasn't perfect or anything like that. What I'm worried about is that, you know, people are going to take the speech at its word, take him at his word, as he says it. And, you know, it shapes their theology, it shapes their Christology, and it shapes how they view their relationship with their country. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, we, we pride ourselves, especially in churches of Christ, uh, on, you know, doing Bible things in Bible ways and calling Bible things by Bible names. Um, and that second point is being, it, that second point is what's in question here. Um, you know, it, it's, it's something where I, I've seen some posts within the past week or so talking about how people are feeling more and more politically homeless that Christians are. And this just reinforces that for me. It's like, no, no, I'm not voting Democrat just because I, I'm not a big fan of what a Republican said at the convention, but I, I'm also not real keen on what was said at the convention. Like I, you know, it's something where I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend uh, that that's okay or that's no big deal when, you know, in, in particular, it's not just reappropriating part of scripture, it's reappropriating something that describes our savior. Right. Um, you know, I, there are plenty of passages that people reappropriate for modern day usage that I, I don't like that usage. I think it's unbiblical. I think it's incorrect, but it's a lot less problematic just because of what the scripture is. Right. Whereas and... in this, in this case, um, when you're reappropriating something that talks about our savior to talk about something much, much less important than our savior. And to be clear, as, as much as I love our country, it's a lot less important than our savior. Um, that that's, that's, what's going to irk me. It's, it's what's going to send me into full fledged revulsion. Right. And we have a track record on this. Uh, when we discussed John Lewis, uh, we made it a point to call out the, uh, quote unquote pastor who reread Isaiah 53 with John Lewis in mind. Mm-hmm. And we both were like, yeah, no, that's not going to fly. You can't be a Christian and read Isaiah 53 that way. That that ain't that ain't cool. Yeah, but the you know it's something where when politicians do that, it shapes Christians' theology whether they realize it or not. Let, let's be very clear about something: if, as a Christian, you let politicians dictate your beliefs more than your Bible, please stop calling yourself a Christian because functionally speaking, you have ceased to be one. You're not following Christ at that point. You're following a politician and you're only following Christ by coincidence. Right. Or in so far as Jesus will let you follow that politician. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's a uh, last it's, week. Uh, lot one of, last uh, thing. Go ahead. Very sorry. 
One uh-huh. last thing, and I don't want to be too glib in saying this, but uh, you mentioned people feeling politically homeless. There is always room in the house called libertarian right part of the political spectrum. And in the libertarian right, we're always disappointed with politicians. You just become numb to it after a certain point. So come down to lib right, where we have, yeah, every politician is terrible. That's just kind of the deal. Yep. We are always happy to have you. Well, speaking of disappointment, last week, I mean, 2020 has just been, just been, it's been a year. Uh, and it's not even been a year. Um, but man, th- this past week, and we only got through half of a week, it's been unbelievably disappointing. Um, you know, from the fact that we have a shooting to talk about at all, right? Um, you know, and, and regardless of what that investigation turns up, even if it were to turn up somehow that the police officer was fully justified um, in doing what he did. It's, I mean, it's still an awful incident. It oh, doesn't yeah. change the fact that it's, I, I mean, it, it's a terrible thing. We uh, should not we, rejoice at anyone's death. No, we shouldn't. And thankfully, uh, Jacob Blake's not dead. Right. But, you know, to go from that to the protest, we haven't even talked about the fact that there was a Trump supporter killed at a protest in, is it Oregon? I believe uh, so, yeah. last night or Saturday night, one of the two. Yeah. And um, I saw footage earlier today of a, it appeared to be a man like walking up behind an older white gentleman on a street and hitting him in the back of the head with something. Some people are saying it's a brick. The camera wasn't focused and zoomed in enough to substantiate that, but he dropped the guy, just snuck up on him, hit him in the back of the head and he crumbled. So just when things like that happen, regardless of who it's happening to, that that's not fun. No, and you know, it, regardless of even when violence is justified, it's it's not it it's not indicative of you know a healthy community. It's not indicative of a healthy nation. Um, you know, and and I I don't know we. We we didn't even mention the coronavirus pandemic today until just now, right. uh, and that's still a thing that's going on. Um, you know, numbers are still escalating in a lot of places. Schools coming back have really set things in motion. Like I, it's it's been a tough week, man. Um, and we've you know hopefully this next week will be better. Um, but it's uh. You know, the fact that we had so much to talk about that only really covered three days, basically, is, man, that's a lot to take in. Um, And so, hopefully, uh, moving forward, these conversations um, can be a little bit more lighthearted. I think I would like that very much. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, we're going to talk about what we need to talk about. Sam, anything else before we close? I think that about covers it. All right. Thank you for listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast. We'll see you next time.